Well, once again, good morning. It's so good to see you. And if you don't have a chair, the MVP, who is also perhaps your escort down to this grounds, uh, Mr. Pickett uh, brought some extra white chairs. They're on a golf cart to my right, your left. And so if you just see yourself needing some chairs, they're right down here. Please uh, make your self at home. I'd also just echo what Brother Kyle shared, that if your kiddos need to run around, just let them run. Good news is I've got eyes on them, so if they get too close to the creek, I'll just yell out, we've got a runner, and you can just turn and know, just go find your kid. That might be one of yours. But no, it's so good to be with you, and um, you know, we uh, were just in, in a sense of space and need of um, just the growth of our faith family to move to two services and COVID helped us escalate that and move that along a little uh, quicker than um, we might have. But um, it's so great. We never want to forget that we are a single church, a faith family. And when we divide into two services, we can miss a few. I see a few of you that are regularly at 830 and a few of you that are more regular at our uh, 1030. And, uh, and so it's good to be able to see everyone together. And, um, and just so you should know, as, um, as often as we can, as it makes sense for us, we're going to try to do some things like this where we can come back together um, at least on some regular intervals so that we can see and be with one another. If you're a guest with us, thank you so much for joining us and taking the risk of saying, hey, I'm going to go to a church for the first time when they're meeting outside. That might seem a little bit uh, different, um, but it's so great. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and we are in a study of the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And we are um, currently uh, studying the Beatitudes, um, just these first 10 or 11 verses of Jesus's sermon, um, and we are working our way through each one. And I'm not sure about you, but as we have studied this text and taken this very close and deep look at the Beatitudes, it's been very convicting for me, very convicting to read these statements, these statements which we've described as somewhat of like a placard as you walk through a museum, you come to the display and there's the placard at the bottom of the display that tells you what it is that you're looking at and why it's worthwhile to look at. And these statements from Christ are the placards that describe what it means to be a Christian. The Christian is poor in spirit. The Christian is one who mourns sin. The Christian is meek. And so we have to ask ourselves, do these things describe us? Would someone who knows us well, would they say of our character that that is what we look like to them as they come upon our lives or spend time with us? And as we arrive at this next beatitude, the one that we are going to study this morning, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The Christian is a peacemaker. And we have to ask ourselves, I have to ask myself, does this describe me, a peacemaker? You'll remember from last week as we worked our way through and we came to this sort of second set of three beatitudes, these three statements, that there is the first three of the statements are an inward focus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. Those are things that require us and lead us to sort of look inwardly and ask ourselves the question and consider of our own hearts, are, do these things describe us? They're not things, or they're not a means of interacting with the outside world, but they're a means of looking inwardly. And we have to look inwardly and consider. And when we do these things, when this does describe us, when we become poor in spirit, understand that our, we are totally impoverished 
We live in complete poverty, spiritually speaking, without God. And when we realize that, and when we mourn our sinfulness, and it leads us to grieve our sins, and we become meek or humble before the world and before God because of that, it leads us to the fourth beatitude, to hunger and thirst for something that we can't find from within. See, as we analyze and look within, we realize we are lacking. These first three statements remind us of our great need. And when we realize we need something, it should then cause us to hunger and thirst. And this is why so many of, of us, so many people in the world, hunger and thirst for other things. And we go out into the world chasing after all the things that the world might offer. Because we, no matter what we believe about these first three statements, they, are, they will be true of us. And we'll go out looking for peace and looking for hope and looking for joy. But Jesus said that the only place that we'll find that is within him. And so he said, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. And he promises us when we hunger and thirst for his righteousness that we will be satisfied. It's not an optional thing. It's not he might fill us, but it's a promise of total satisfaction from him. So we look within, we realize our need, and so then we hunger and thirst for a righteousness from without. And when we do that, as we are filled with Christ's righteousness, when we begin to reflect Him and our lives look more like Christ, we then also become the next three things. We become merciful. We become pure in heart. We become peacemakers. That's the result of hungering and thirsting for a righteousness that comes from Christ and not something that comes internally. We also said, as we try to understand what Jesus was saying in these, that there's a one-to-one ratio. And so, blessed are the poor in spirit is connected to the, to the statement of being merciful. Blessed are those who mourn when we grieve our sinful hearts. Then, blessed are the pure in heart. We are given pure hearts. And so, this third statement, blessed are the peacemakers, it is connected to blessed are the meek. A humility that comes from Christ. See, Jesus begins... By telling us what is required to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we know that when we become a Christian, when we put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ alone, we move from being focused on this world and all that this life might have to offer, and we are transferred into a new life, and we are given new hearts, and we are become citizens of this new kingdom. And so how often do we tell ourselves, this world is not our home? We remind ourselves of that when we face hardships or challenges or pain. We sort of internalize that. We're like, thank you, Lord, that this world is not our home. Well, this beatitude, this statement of Christ, blessed are the peacemakers, really tests whether we believe that or not. Do we truly believe that this world is not our home? Do you really understand what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? That's tested when we read this statement and we examine our own hearts. As we're outside this morning, I don't see any kids that I can call on right now. But have you ever watched as your children being outside and they picked up a stick and they began to fight over it? Arguing over who had the stick first. And you think to yourself as mom and dad, you say, you're fighting over a stick There's a million other sticks. There's tons of them right here on the ground, kids. Don't pick them up right now. But you might find yourself asking about your kids, why would they be fighting over a stick? Or 
Perhaps you've seen some of the hundreds of YouTube videos or clips out there where people are arguing over their place in line at the supermarket, the grocery store, and it turns violent as they look at the, as they get in arguments over these things. And you think to yourself, this is what would lead someone to fight, to get violent over their place in line or something so silly as a stick or those types of things. And I believe that God, he looks down upon us and he says to himself, as we argue and fight and go to wars and all that we do, you're fighting over that? You're fighting over that temporary earthly existence? That is what's leading you to, come to, to, to go to war, whether individually or as nations or otherwise. See, when you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, it's worth considering, would you fight over a stick? Would you fight over something so meaningless and so futile? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. And in doing so, he reminded us how silly it is that we put so much hope and so much of our future and all of the things, our dreams, we we wrap ourselves up in the things of this world. And he reminds us that we're citizens of a kingdom that's not of this world. I'm so thankful that we can be together this morning in this setting to be reminded that as beautiful as this place is, this is not our home. So you may be asking yourself, well, why are peacemakers blessed? If you're like me, When you first hear that word, similarly as we looked at and examined the word meek, you might think to yourself that that looks like somebody who is just easily run over, just allows the world to sort of just push them down, to just kind of get in their way. They're so interested in being peaceful that they won't stand up for anything. But remember, when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, this wasn't describing a pushover. This wasn't meekness is not weakness. And that same meekness or humility is connected. It's this idea that it leads to, as I said, us becoming peacemakers. See, the reason the peacemaker is blessed is not because he's run over by the world, but because he is over the world. I don't say that in some snobbish kind of way as to describe that we are over something. We are better than the world. No, it's the idea we're over the world that we're removed in a sense. Think about the astronaut that travels into space. And as they travel into space, and we've all seen the pictures, they look back, the astronauts look back on this big blue ball, and they're amazed by its beauty. They see it for what it is, but they also recognize how small it is in contrast to the vastness of the universe. They look back on this beautiful earth, and they see that it's just one little blip on the entirety of the universe. And so in the same way, the peacemaker has been removed from this world with our attention and our focus so much on this world that we can see this world in proper perspective. And we can see the joys of this world properly, and we can see the hurts and the pains of this world properly. They become much smaller And so the peacemaker, the reason that the peacemaker is blessed is because he's so unlike everyone else in the world. Blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus could say that as true because they have been adopted as children of God. So this gets to the reality or the real problem that we deal with. Again, 
When we think of peacemakers, we might think of someone who's just a pushover, is easily sort of run over by the world. We might also think of someone, when we just hear that word, we might think of somebody that's just, they're gifted in resolving conflict. That they're trying to put an end to wars or, again, whether individually or global. You may think of vocations, uh, law enforcement officers, peace officers by their official title. But think back, let's look further at what the real problem is as we consider that. What is the real problem that leads to war? Again, I'm not speaking of nation wars. I'm thinking of individual, one-on-one, going to war against one another. It's not ultimately, again, if we take the nation level, it's not something that's ultimately over a territory or dispute over some way to do something, the right or wrong means to an end. No, the ultimate problem, the source of the problem is our sinfulness. It's the sinfulness of man. And so if we think about that being the real problem, the true challenge is our sinfulness, what we understand when we really get to the root, when you understand the real problem, then you can deal with it. Once again, your children, they're fighting over the stick. What do you try to do so often as a parent? You try to separate the two, try to understand what's really going on here. How often in marriage conflict do we talk about that the issue isn't the issue because there's something that's caused a fight, but really there's something below the surface that is the real issue. And when we think of what leads to, uh, to battles, again, whether personally or corporately or nationally, the ultimate problem is sin. And so we don't need different strategies. What we don't need are different strategies to solve this problem. What we need are new hearts. Once again, as we've said since we began this series, what we need are more Christians. Christians that are defined by these statements of Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so this word from Jesus gets to the heart of the problem. Peace doesn't exist in our world. Peace doesn't exist if you examine or just think right now, perhaps about some conflict that you're dealing with in your own life. The reason that peace doesn't exist there is because there is sin. There's far too much of it. And so when we try and address the problems that result from sin before we address the sin, then we don't get anywhere. This is why, again, so often as our nation strives to bring peace around the world as we individually strive to bring peace we end up tempted and stumbling because we're just trying to deal with the symptoms of the problem rather than getting to the heart of the issue we try to address the problems that result from sin before we deal with the hearts how often have we said you will not convince someone to change they will not live their lives differently they won't look differently they won't see the world as christian and they will do very unchristian ungodly things because of their sinful hearts and if we try to deal with that problem before we address their hearts all we might do is temporarily mask the issue some have asked me and you might wonder why i don't get overly passionate about the current political conversation of our nation. One is because I've tried, I've never won a battle on that front. I'm trying to convince someone that their side is wrong. And I'd go so far as to say that calling things evil and it being hateful and derogatory towards others has never won an argument. 
At best, what might happen, and perhaps you've experienced this, again, I haven't, is someone might capitulate. But most often, what happens when we try to deal with those types of things is we lose an opportunity to see a heart transformed, and it's heart transformation that leads to ultimate change. And the problem there is where so often we're trying to deal with the symptom rather than the root illness. My conversations, our conversations, should be focused on dealing with the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, understanding the sinfulness of those hearts and striving as all that we can do to present the gospel to them and to share the love of Christ with them. And as we do that... As we deal with the true issue, a transformed heart makes different decisions, does things differently. So, we need more people, more Christians, who deal with the heart of the matter. Not just addressing symptoms. We need peacemakers. True peacemakers. So, we've... Understood why the peacemaker is blessed because they are adopted as a son of God. They realize where they sit as citizens of the kingdom of God. What is a peacemaker, you might ask? And as we said about the meek, this isn't something that's a natural disposition. This isn't a personality type. I know many of you that sort of your personality type and your gentleness and your care and your love for others, it seems that you are a peacemaker. But this isn't something that is just only a few people have access to. This also, again, isn't some vocation. Now, being a peacemaker is a spiritual condition. See, the person who just is simply unwilling to take a stand or is just naturally more gracious and kind doesn't describe a peacemaker. Sometimes we do need to take a stand for things, and the fear of conflict could cause us to stand for nothing. But once again, when we do that, we are just becoming people pleasers or an appeaser. An appeaser or a people pleaser might, might convince us, might convince someone to come to a ceasefire. But a peacemaker brings an end to the war. That is what we're after. This is what Jesus is describing. So a peacemaker is not just someone who often just always gives in to the other. Or does whatever others might desire. The peacemaker is first someone who is peaceful. I know that sounds simplistic. But that's what Jesus is describing. Someone who is peaceful. Also someone who seeks peace for others. Which means that the peacemaker is not quarrelsome. There's some people in our world. And you probably know a few of them. That are always looking for a fight. This doesn't describe a Christian. No, a peacemaker who is a Christian is someone who strives to bring peace to others. And he's at peace and seeks to make peace with others. The reason that he can do that, she can do that, is ultimately he knows that peace with one another starts with peace with God. If I'm at war with you, then most likely has something to do with the fact that you have something that I want. It might not be a possession. It might be uh, just a a spiritual reality. It might be a personality reality. It might be any sort of those things. But it begins with, I'm not satisfied with what I have. I'm not satisfied with who I am. And so, because I'm at war with you, because you have something that I want, because I am discontent, I 
go to battle. I begin to tear down. I become quarrelsome. But consider the alternative. Consider the person that is at peace with God. A person who is at peace with God is also at peace with what God has for him or her. He's at peace with where God has placed him. He's at peace with what God has given. And when we are at peace with God, then we are much more calm and understanding about whatever I have, God has given to me, and I trust God's sovereignty in that issue. This type of worldview allows us to understand and trust God more. See, seeing yourself, again, back to this idea of being above the world, removed from the world, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, rather than being so entrenched in what this world is up to and the things of this world, it leads us to not be so caught up in the results of this world. Win or lose, we trust God. And the reason, the only way that we achieve that level of peace is by God giving us new hearts. You know, James says the friendship with the world puts you at enmity with God. You're an enemy of God when you strive to have friendship with this world, when the things of this world are what you chase after. You can't have those two things together. And so if we think of the opposite of that, that to be at peace, to not be an enemy of God, but to have peace with God, would mean that we have no friendship with the world. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't be friends with people in the world, but that means that this is not where we find our hope. We don't strive after that. We don't chase after those things. We have total peace with, with God. And when we understand where that peace comes from, with new hearts, we realize that we have peace with God through Christ. How can we not become people who are peaceful? Sin is a declaration of war on God. Think of that. Every time we sin, it's a declaration of war against God. And in spite of daily, regularly declaring war on God, those of us who are in Christ have been granted total peace with God. What an amazing reality. Every single day, I do things, I live a life that falls short of the glory of God. And those are acts of war against God, and yet God does not condemn me. But I have peace with Him through Christ. If I have peace with God because of His graciousness and mercy and who He is, how can I not live peaceably with all of you and with others? How can we not live peacefully with one another? So, the peacemaker is someone who is at peace with God. Because of their peace with God, they live peacefully with others and they seek the peace of others. Now, practically, what does this actually look like? What does it mean? How do we live this out, making peace and striving to lead to the peace of one another? The first thing, the first step to being a peacemaker, and again, you can think of this on an individual level as you just think about your friend relationships, perhaps your familial relationships, the relationships with your neighbors. You can think about the church family. You can think about our community as a whole. First, the first step to being a peacemaker is to not so quickly join sides, to remain neutral as a means of bringing others together. 
I am empathetic to people who see this side of an equation. In the same way, I empathize with the people who see this side of equation. And my job as a peacemaker is to help them to understand the commonality and to bring those people together. To realize that whatever they believe and however they're leading their life and the things that they're doing are a result of something in their life. A result of their worldview, a result of the way that they've been raised, a result of so many factors. And to understand and to not consider myself better or greater than those individuals, but to just consider myself humble before them, to have a meekness about me, realizing how sinful I am, and in doing so, to bring others together and work to bring peace. When's the last time that you saw two friends, one or another, and there was conflict amongst them, and you took it upon yourself to go and to try and bring the two sides together? to show empathy towards both individuals or both groups and to try and strive to remain neutral. We can't so quickly join sides. Number two, we cannot as peacemakers look at the world through the lens of what is best for me. This is one of our greatest challenges today, friends. Everything in this world, as we've said over and over again throughout this series and previous teachings, Everything in this world tells us that it's all about you. Follow your heart. Do what you want. What is best for me just reigns. What serves me is what is most important. And we cannot be tempted to look at the world in that way. Consider again. Look at Jesus. Jesus went to the cross as an example of humility. But he also went to the cross as an example of not doing what was best for him. I can assure you that Jesus, as he is in the garden, I've stood in the garden as he prayed before uh, underneath the, the olive branches and he sweat blood from his brow because of the intensity which with he pleaded with the father to give any other way for him to accomplish your and I's salvation. It was not what was best for him. It was not what served him the greatest. It was thinking of others. And so that type of humility and considering and saying, I will not consider as first and primary what is best for me, but looking to the interests of others, considering others greater than ourselves. That is what it means to be a peacemaker. You know, when I think of myself, I realize I am not all that special. I've told you all many times, I'm a sinful, broken man. What right do I have to always get my way? And how bad would this world be if I always got my way? And when I have that in mind and then I think about, in the, with that reality being true, what Jesus did for me, and it leads me to hunger and thirst for a righteousness that is not something I can find from within. Because I don't need more of me. I need more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. So I look at the world the way that Jesus sees the world. So don't consider first what is best for you. Look to the interests of others. That's number two in being a peacemaker. Number three, see the world, our lives, your life, it, and everything in it with proper perspective and the proper perspective the perspective of a peacemaker is what do i do how do i live how do i 
navigate these relational circumstances? How do I bring these two people together? How do I step forward in the right direction regarding this situation or that at work, wherever it is? How do I do all of that for the glory of God? How do I bring glory to God? That question has to be on our minds. If we are going to be peacemakers, it's a result of thinking about the glory of God first and above all else. And realize, if it doesn't glorify God, then I am not going to be about it. I am going to do what is going to bring God the most glory. We've talked about these external things, the way we view the world and those types of things. Number four steps, how to become peacemakers. We speak less. Or for some of us, we post less. We are swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. How, again, we have just forgotten that. We feel like the world deserves to know our opinion on everything. And that leads to conflict. That's not the the calling of a peacemaker. As peacemakers, we should strive, as James instructs us to do once again, to control our tongues. And every form of speech, whatever that might be, to have control over that. Don't speak everything you hear, everything you think you know, and especially everything you think you have read somewhere. You're not a peacemaker if you constantly stir up division. That's the opposite of being a peacemaker. So we speak less. Fifth, we go out of our way to make peace. We said a peacemaker is someone who has peace with God, lives peacefully in his own heart, but also seeks the peace of one another and strives to bring that. How do we do that? Practically speaking, pick up the phone, walk down the street, take the meal, bring the two parties together, do whatever it is that you can do, whatever you have within your power to do to to create and to bring about peace and go out of your way, even being willing to do things that were uncomfortable And require sacrifice on your part. Finally, simplistically, be peaceful. Let the new heart that Christ has given you shine. Go to war daily through prayer with your flesh. And ask the Holy Spirit of God to allow you and to help you and to equip you to suppress the temptation to follow your old heart and your flesh and the things that you're so quickly tempted to do. I know that I have to do that regularly. Every day, Lord, put myself to death. Let me live for you. Let me shine this new heart that you've given me. And let me be peaceful. Let me bring about Peace for others. I'll tell you a story. I've talked to you guys a few times about some of my younger life. And there was a time in my life, and thankfully I don't struggle with this much any longer, but I used to go really fast wherever I went. I don't know if any of you like to speed like I do, but there was basically, there was, if I was going to go somewhere, I'm going to maximize the efficiency. I'm going to get there as quickly as I can. I used to deliver pizzas when I was younger, so I had just made it a game to see how fast I could get to the next house. And that just kind of bred in me, like I sped everywhere. And then I did some calculations, and I actually realized that as I looked about, I I, I literally did a a test, and I drove somewhere in my normal way, and then I drove somewhere the very next day going to work, and I just drove at a normal pace to obey the speed limits. And you know how much time I bought myself? About two seconds. 
going as fast as I could, running through the world, doing everything. And that really, I know that's silly, but that sort of described my attitude in life. I was going after what I wanted to go after, doing what I wanted to do as quickly as I could do it with no concern for anyone else. You could take no concern as far as safety. You could take, in any sense of the word, no concern for others. And at some point, I just sort of got over myself. And I give glory to God in this. I slowed down. And now, periodically, I look up and I'm going below the speed limit, which is shocking to my own heart. That's not something that I would think that would have ever happened in my life. But I'll just look up and I'm driving like James Pickett, just cruising along. Some of y'all have been in a car with James before. Ain't no hurry to get anywhere because there's nothing that important that's worth speeding about. Peacefully. Living peacefully. I just... I have... I, Glory to God, I have a calmness about myself. That's the new heart of Christ at work in me. That's not something that I created, that I convinced myself to do. It just sort of arrived. Living peacefully and just being a peaceful person intentionally. Let's look at the promise of Christ as we begin to close. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You know the word called here? That word actually means, might a different translation might say, owned. Peacemakers are owned as children of God. The amazing thing about this statement is that we have peace with God because He is our Father. We have peace with Him who has adopted us as children Do you remember, blessed are the meek, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I told you these are connected. We receive, we receive this inheritance from God as his children. And we have peace with God. Once again, just consider your own heart. Consider who you know yourself to be at the depth of your soul and realize That through Christ, in spite of what we know of ourselves, we have eternal and everlasting peace with God. This should put us in awe and it should cause our hearts to worship. We're about to sing. And as we sing, I just hope that we would remember that we have peace with Almighty God, the God who would be right to declare war on each and every one of us, but because He is peace, and because of the peace that we have through Christ, He sent His Son to die for us, the very people who declare war on Him. I'm going to read to close Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Some of you may remember were with us when we studied this book a few months ago. But again, I would just ask, perhaps just even bow your head and just hear this word of God read over you. And allow your heart to begin to worship as you hear it. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, people who would divide, which is made by flesh in the hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That describes every single one of us, friends. That's, that's 
All of our existence. That's who we once were. Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, people who know that text that was just read to be true, that they, like all of us, were far off from God, and through Christ we have been reconciled to God and ultimately reconciled to one, get to one another. And as we look out on this space, we see souls that represent brothers and sisters in Christ that are sons and daughters of God, and we are called peacemakers. Let us be people of peace. Holy Spirit of God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to be obedient, to live this out. We can't, as we've said, we can't force ourselves to become peacemakers. That's a work of a transformed and new heart. So I thank you for the peace that you have brought to me. I thank you that I was once far off. And you brought me near, Lord Jesus, when you laid down your life on the cross. I pray that anyone who is far off, perhaps those who are near, who are just sitting on the precipice of saying, yes, I believe who Jesus is, that even now you might transform hearts, you might take out hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh so that they could believe. And I pray that you would unite us as a church family to be peacemakers. Let us live peaceably with one another. And let us look to strive most of all to bring peace to the world. Your peace. A peace that is everlasting. A peace that is not temporary. Doesn't come and go with the cycles of this world. But is everlasting. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the peace that you have brought. I deserve to be an enemy of God. But because of you, I'm called a son of God. I pray that everyone would know that to be true this morning pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.